the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within Nation. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things nutrition, fitness, and health-related. I'm your host, Brandon Woolley, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe. Hello. Today, our guest is Allie DeWaren. She's a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and a plant-based health nut who strives to make good choices for herself and her clients through a holistic approach, focusing on maximizing metabolism. She graduated from Auburn University, majoring in nutrition and dietetics, and completed her dietetic internship through Winthrop University in Florence, South Carolina. She loves all things whole foods, essential oils, and anything outdoors. Born and raised in the mountains of Alabama and being half Icelandic, that's badass, <laughs> has given her a well-rounded view of, um, on nutrition and the importance of health. So welcome, Allie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, to get started with, tell us a little bit about you know, what you're doing now, how you got here, and just kind of your story. Yeah, sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. And like you said, I'm a functional and integrative registered dietitian and certified personal trainer. I have my own business. It's called Water in the Well. It's based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, but will function primarily as a virtual platform. So I'll have one-on-one nutrition coaching sessions over video call with clients. I'm making it easier for moms, young ones, men and women who, you know, are working and have short lunch breaks, etc. So I'll also be doing virtual pantry makeovers, even grocery store tours. The website will be up and running in a couple months so that clients are able to read the most up-to-date health and wellness information, find my favorite recipes. So it's still in the building phase, but clients are able to email me at waterinthewell at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Water in the Well on Instagram for live classes and current information about what's going on. Tell us a little bit about what you did previously with the inpatient and outpatient. Yeah, sure. So I have a very broad experience in nutrition. I would say I've covered a lot of realms. My first job out of school was actually with the SNAP Ed Nutrition Program in South Carolina, where I worked to educate food stamp participants on the importance of nutrition. So I did a lot of traveling by car, a lot of cooking demos, and that was a great population to work with. From there, I moved into inpatient medical nutrition therapy. That is a totally different world in terms of nutrition that really developed what I believe about nutrition now and where I stand. Walking from patient room to patient room, you have, you know, five, 10 minutes before a patient is discharged to educate them about nutrition. And nine out of 10 times, they are totally uninterested in what you have to say. They're only ready to go home. At that point, there's not much that you can do to help them. The other part of inpatient nutrition is really handing out insurance. It's kind of considered nutrition in a bottle. And if you've ever read those ingredients on Insure or Boost, you know that it's really not. And oftentimes the first ingredient is sugar or really high fructose corn syrup. Oh, so, there it is. <laughs> that was kind of a turning point for me. I would say most people I went to school with and most dietitians work in the inpatient world. And while it's a great place to learn about chronic disease and chronic disease management, nutrition is not put at the forefront. Now, what is SNAP-Ed? That is a food stamp program. So it's Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program through the government. So SNAP-Ed is the education side of that. Our goal was to go into lower income populations of South Carolina and educate them about nutrition um, so that they would use their food stamp money on healthier food options. You know, I know there's certain programs, like I know like with 
nursing mothers that there's only certain infant formula they're allowed to purchase. To, and I don't remember what the name of that program was. Yep. So that's WIC. And it's WIC? funny that you yeah. say that because WIC mm-hmm. is probably the only area of regular nutrition I feel like that I haven't worked in. So yeah. that's women, infants, and children. Well, I, I just remember researching a list and every single one of those infants formulas, the first ingredient was corn syrup or corn syrup solids. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it changes every single year um, based on what the government will subsidize for them to provide. I would say the vast majority of mothers who are on WIC want the uh, formula. They want the formula because they get it for free. But WIC is placing a huge push on breastfeeding, which is huge. But when I shadowed dietitians in the WIC area during school, most moms that came in viewed breastfeeding as something that was embarrassing and something that in their family history was never important. So WIC is really working to change that. I I understand that a lot of the food industry, especially the junk foods, they Mm -hmm. target with their marketing low income. Um, So... With you working in that area, from their perspective, what would gravitate them toward these less healthy options? Do you think it was strictly just the marketing or do you think it was the addictive nature of these foods? I would say both and a lack of education too. You know, it's, they might think that something is healthy when it's not. As we know, even populations that are not low income, you know, very educated populations still get tricked by that marketing too. But also the ease, the affordability A lot of times they're working and don't have the time to cook. So that's why we did cooking demos in SnapEd. I had people fall in love with tofu. That was like the last thing I would think people would fall in love with. But it's a super affordable source of protein for people. So once they try the food, they're more likely to go home and make it and buy the ingredients, which they can with their food stamps. Those are the ingredients we used. So. Yeah, I actually found a, like a recipe with like lime juice and curry and red pepper flakes that was actually pretty decent. You know, my only caution would be if, you know, because of the soy and it, you know, maybe not something to have every day. But Yeah, of course. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, how, how can people in a low income situation like that afford better food? Like what are some of the workarounds to the cost? Because uh, Whole Foods is out of the question. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and what are some of the options you found? A lot of things that we did with SnapEd were things like cooking with rice and beans. And yeah, it can take longer. But now you have things out like the pressure cookers and things like that. And we used a lot of canned goods. Now, you know, you, there's, you know, pros and cons. But when you get the unsalted and you drain and rinse, there's a lot of different canned items that people can use. And honestly, you know, buying meat in bulk and shopping the sales and freezing. That's a lot of things that we taught and not wasting a single thing from even the ends of your loaf of bread. Yeah. And then I would also encourage, you know, check out Aldi. Oh, absolutely. I've literally taken a Walmart receipt and used that as a shopping list at Aldi is like 40% cheaper. Wow. The exact same items. And then if you do a lot of canned goods, just make sure it's BPA free Mm -hmm. if you can. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, those are great recommendations. Uh, were there any particular recipes that the people you worked with were gravitated toward? I would say stir fry. Like I mentioned, we would always do one with chicken and we would always do one with tofu. 
And so many times I had classes choose the tofu over the chicken. I think they just never tried it before. Any kind of Mexican dish like tacos or things like that were always a hit. Quesadillas was probably the number one hit of the classes where we would do, you know, whole wheat tortillas and beans, lettuce, tomato. You know, you can pile it up with all of the veggies and make it customizable to people. Sometimes I'd even trick high schoolers and use um, whole milk Greek yogurt and they would think it was sour cream. So there's different things you can you can do that people really like. So it was fun. And they could even do lettuce wraps, I guess, if you wanted to oh, leave yeah. the, the uh, tortilla part out. Mm-hmm. Just as a reminder to our listeners, there's actually grain-free tortillas. Uh, there's a brand called Siete, if you want to check them out. Earlier, you were mentioning right at the top of the show that you're plant-based. What's the difference between plant-based and vegan? Okay, so, you know, vegan is no animal products whatsoever. So no dairy, no eggs, no meat. Vegetarian, there's different forms of vegetarian. So some include eggs, some include dairy, some include both or or not plant-based is it doesn't really have a strict definition of its own I think it's different for a lot of people vegan would be considered plant-based vegetarian would be considered plant-based but when you say plant-based instead of vegan or vegetarian that means that the predominance of your diet is around plant foods so you eat a lot of fruits a lot of vegetables a lot of whole grains Mm -hmm. a lot of legumes things like that some exclude meat eggs and dairy some don't okay that so for sense. some people, it might be a looser definition, like plant-based is the majority. Absolutely. But I might eat fish or chicken and yep. not feel bad about it. That's right. That's right. You exactly. don't have to have a different name for everything, like pescatarian <laughs> and all the different yeah. stuff. Right, right, right. We don't have to get specific. <laughs> like an ovitarian, or what is it? What's the other one? Ovo. Yeah. There's all, all kinds different kinds. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fooditarian. <laughs> <laughs> I like to eat. A food-based diet. <laughs> that's, that's what I recommend, a food-based diet. Hey, I've had uh, people, when we talk about inpatient, I've had, you know, you walk into the room, especially the ones, you know, you see that look, they do not want you in there, not the dietitian. And one lady told me, ma'am, I'm on a seafood diet. And I was like, what does that mean? And she was like, my doctor told me if I see food, I can eat it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a new Solid one. Solid advice. <laughs> Solid advice. <laughs> Now, tell us more about your experience with understanding the link between the microbiome and autism. Yeah, sure. So, uh, like I told you, microbiome is my favorite topic. I think it's kind of a joke with people that know me if they tell me anything is wrong with them or someone they know or they have an issue and they don't know what's going on. Allie's going to tell them to take probiotics. But <laughs> So, let's talk about what the microbiome is first, just a little back background on that. So it's a vast amount of bacteria, viruses, molds, fungi that live within us. Some are good, some not so good, but keeping the ratio of good to bad is what's most important. If the good outweigh the bad, that typically means we're in good health. When the bad start to outweigh the good, that's when we can get sick, get skin issues, yeast or fungal infections, etc. So there's four major components that can cause this bad bacteria to go awry. First thing is antibiotics. We know that. We know antibiotics kill both the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. I always emphasize to clients, sometimes medication is necessary. We know there are medications that will save lives, no doubt. Um, But you better try everything under the sun first, including taking probiotics. So the second most important thing is pesticides. Uh, Most pesticides contain glyphosate. It's known to kill our good bacteria. This is why it's so important to buy organic foods when possible. And like you were talking about, BPA-free cans, non-GMO foods, things like that. And another idea on that is typically the fruits and vegetables that have thicker skins 
are the ones that you can buy non-organic and the yeah. ones with thinner skin just because of the absorption of pesticides and things like that. So like oranges and things like that. Yeah. Uh, now, I do know berries are super, super absorbent like sponges. Yep. So those are things you'd probably want to get organic. Yeah, exactly. So we covered antibiotics and we covered pesticides. So the third and fourth things are birth control and antidepressants. And these are my favorites. Just about every girl you know is on at least one of them, right? So starting with birth control, it is often prescribed to girls at a very young age. And it's not just to prevent pregnancy. Often I find it more common because of acne, menstrual cramps, things like that. Other side effects going on with the menstrual cycle, like a lot of dermatologists prescribe um, birth control. But again, I tell my clients to try everything under the sun first, because typically these issues that we feel with the menstrual cycle is a lack of certain vitamins and minerals in the diet, like vitamin B6, zinc, magnesium, selenium, etc. So I always start there with clients. And when our gut isn't in tip-top shape or our liver, which we'll talk about again later, research is showing us that down the line, women begin to have fertility issues. When we go into um, antidepressants, we know that 90% of our uh, serotonin production comes from the good bacteria in our gut. That means that your mood and happiness are predominantly controlled by your gut. So if you're depressed and you get on an antidepressant that kills your good bacteria that was producing most of your happy hormone, how do you ever expect to get rid of that depression? Um, I always emphasize to clients that I think depression is simply an imbalance in some sort. So this is my problem with using medication as our first option. It's not a fix. It's a Band-Aid. In many situations, it's necessary. But let's move on into autism. The amount of children being diagnosed with autism, Asperger's, ADHD, etc. is on the rise at an enormously fast rate. Every single one of these conditions is being related back to gut bacteria. So when we talk about how our gut bacteria develops, there's a couple ways. So the very first way we get introduced to it is through birth, the birth canal being passed on by the mother. For people that are pregnant, you know, C-sections are on the rise and sometimes it is an emergency and it's something you can't control, but sometimes it is planned. So without, with a C-section, you know, the bacteria is not able to be transferred to the baby. The second way, and this is a way that we can control, uh, the bacteria is introduced to a child through breastfeeding. Like we talked about earlier, and this is the most important thing that we can control. The ri risk of a child developing chronic disease, asthma, allergies, skin issues is reduced a lot just because of breastfeeding. Some moms aren't able to breastfeed. Some babies can't latch on. Some moms need lactation consultants. Some babies are even allergic to proteins in their mom's milk. So making sure that that child gets that very first sip of colostrum can be life-changing for that child. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is if, if you do have a C-section, Dr. Robin Chutkin, she has a book called The Microbiome Solution. But she recommends you could actually swap the baby in that birth canal bacteria when they, you can request to have that done. And very they get cool. a very similar. So, so they don't have to bypass that altogether. Sweet. And she even has a um, templated out letter you can give to your doctor if, if you have, you know, if you get to plan ahead and, and if you have a midwife yeah. and things like that. But, but so something to consider, but that, that bacteria, that makes up a big part of their immune system. So the rate of breastfeeding has been down, like we talked about. There's a rise in working moms. There's difficulty finding a place to breastfeed in the workplace. So from um, there on out, how we control the amount of probiotics that, or the amount of good bacteria we have in our gut is based on the prebiotics and probiotics that we have in our diet and avoiding those four things that we talked about earlier. Other things like food poisoning can, you know, kill that good bacteria in the gut and household cleaning and hygiene products can also do that. So what we're finding is that 
the kids with these issues are either lacking in the variety of bacteria or the amount of bacteria that they have in their gut. It might be due to one of these items or due to many. And we know kids' diets now are horrible. I mean, it's comprised of goldfish and Oreos. and Wait, those aren't healthy? <laughs> and Uncrustables, remember those? Yeah. And there's a lot of research that doctors, some doctors are reversing autism just by changing these areas. Um, now, now is diet. it completely going away or just they're going more asymptomatic with it? I believe both. Yeah. I believe both, yeah, based on how early you start. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, going back to what you were saying with infertility issues, you know, I know PCOS is a big deal, Mm -hmm. largely linked with insulin and blood sugar levels. Absolutely. Uh, Do you have any experience with PCOS improving or reversing that condition? Yeah, sure. So there is actually two clients that I worked with who had suffered from PCOS. And in the beginning, you start out very strict, very strict, like you talked about insulin control. So controlling the blood sugar, I... I went very strict in terms of reducing grains whatsoever and your forms of carbohydrates are starchy vegetables and fruit. I would say that's the number one part there. There's certain vitamins and minerals that play a part in, in helping with PCOS as well, like vitamin D and things like that. But blood sugar control is definitely the first thing. And just to clarify, you know, the, the deal with grains isn't necessarily just carbohydrate, but it has more to do with like some of the protein structures, how it affects insulin and other things in the body different than another type of carb. So we've talked about that lectin protein quite a bit. If you guys want to check out some of Dr. Stephen Gundry's work, such as Plant Paradox or the or, uh, Longevity Paradox, he'll go into that in great depth. So I got a question for both of you guys. Uh, when... When did grain and like oatmeal and all that stuff become the enemy? Because I remember when I was going to school, it was the <laughs> biggest thing on the food pyramid and school was trying to cram that stuff down our throats, telling us to eat seven to 11 servings a day. Yeah, that's because General Mills created that food pyramid. It was heavily subsidized by those types of industries. So it's, you know, right now, publicly, it's not the enemy. I mean, it's more so with functional medicine that they're realizing it. and uh, But it's starting to, there's starting to become a wave of people that are aware of it, seeing improvements in their health with the lack of it, such as that Siete brand we mentioned. Yeah. Another great brand is uh, Simple Mills. Did Sim- it start to become more and more popular to because of the development of just the understanding of microbiome? Is that a relatively new science? I think it's, it's newer, especially in popular science. Uh, you know, part of it, I think, you know, one of the things paleo helped with was this reduction of grains. And I don't advocate everybody go do paleo. Uh, but they had a couple things right. And I, I certainly think- had an interesting point. I remember watching a lot of the documentaries because I love documentaries. And it was like, we didn't start eating this way until 80 years ago. And that'll just make you think. Like, yeah. this wasn't a big <laughs> part of our diet for the the majority of human history. And like, again, the documentaries weren't saying it was the devil or, well, some of them were, they were pretty, some of them were pretty heavy handed, (laughs) pretty heavy handed paleo evangelism documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost a cult. No, Uh, but there are some, you know, it's probably a huge improvement versus the standard American diet, the sad diet. Maybe not right for everybody, but certainly the reduction of grains I would definitely advocate for. How about you? Yeah, I think definitely over processed grains. And like you were asking, you know, when did they become the enemy? And I think it started with carbs. I think, you know, it was like low carb, low carb, everybody go low carb after the low fat and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But like Brandon was talking about earlier, I mean, not every carb is the same and how it's broken down, digested, absorbed in the body. And that's what makes the difference. And I think the second thing that made it the enemy is gluten-free. The big emphasis on gluten-free diets and the misconception there that a lot of people do think that everyone needs to be gluten-free, but 
there's a lot of things you can miss out on in your diet when you go gluten-free as well. You have to be followed very closely. So making sure that people know, you know, having lab testing, seeing, you know, gluten does affect a lot of people and cause inflammation in a lot of people. And I think the, the growth of more ancient grains too makes a difference because when we talk about things like wheat and corn that are, you know, subsidized and overproduced and genetically modified and they are definitely not the foods that they started out to be. So, so definitely, I've only, I've only started hearing that term recently, ancient grains. What's a, what's an ancient grain? The structure of the grain has not been changed from when it started. So when we talk about being genetically modified, like what wheat looks like today as a structure, totally different than what it started as way back in the day. Mm. So it's like frankenfoods if it's <laughs> not an ancient grain. Yeah. yeah. Now, <laughs> the main theme of this show is this idea of personal transformation and this image of a firebird rising from the ashes. What is, do you have a story of transformation personally? So this this is a tough question for me. So I'm going to take it way back. So when I was uh, a kid, my dad was a competitive javelin thrower. So he was actually in five Olympics. And I think that's how him and my mom became very fascinated with nutrition. I strongly believe, you know, he was third in the world in 1988 in javelin throwing. And that's where my passion started is that his road to success was from food, really, you know? So when I was younger, my parents got divorced. My dad is from Iceland, born and raised, and he moved back there. And my sister, you know, while that can be viewed as a hard thing, my sister and I were blessed enough to be able to go visit every single summer. And I think that is something that also shaped my view of nutrition because Iceland is so culturally different than America. You know, we walk outside and pick wildflowers to make tea, you know, and, and you can do that. I would not pick wildflowers outside of my apartment here and make tea with them. We're sipping some Bigelow right now. It's <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> so there's different things, Picked you know, from the grocery store. <laughs> that's right. So you play more of a process in the in the growth of your food in Iceland. My aunt there has her own organic garden and they raised their own sheep and, you know, slaughtered it there for meat. And there's a coffee shop there in Iceland, which is my favorite. And it sits right above the cows where they're milked. And then they bring the milk upstairs, literally warm, to make your coffee. So, you know, it's a lot more real deal farm to table. When we talk about here farm to table, it's still not even that farm to table. When I was working in all of these different positions as a dietitian, I've I've already been raised to believe in this mind-body approach just from my background. And I, I, I would say most dietitians I went to school with and worked with strictly believe in calories in, calories out. And honestly, this is a topic I don't even discuss that often with my clients. I mean last resort a lot of times clients come in and that's the first thing they want to know is about counting numbers and I have to be like whoa let's take a step back you know do you think that's what our ancestors did no and not only that but this can create a huge imbalance in the in the mind segment of the holistic approach and can even lead to eating disorders down the road and that's not exactly it's a very skewed and toxic view that we can have of food so while it wasn't necessarily a shift in what I believed I believe it was you know a shift that I was understanding that there's a vastly different approach of many dietitians and honestly physicians that I have worked with in the past um, to the point that that pushed me to go out on my own. So the second shift I had, I think is in the mind area of myself. I'm very type A as we say in school, most dietitians are. And I find myself living in a state of fear and worry and anxiety. So meditation and yoga and self-help books have been a really big thing for me because as you and I know, 
stress plays just as much a part as the food and the exercise and raising our cortisol levels and causing us to store fat and age more quickly. And something as simple as stress can throw off our calories in, calories out number in a hot second. So Yeah, I've I've had clients that like when we get to the stress, we're like, what? I don't want to talk about any of that new age crap. I'm here to talk about nutrition. <laughs> but you also want to correct your hormones and guess what? They're all interlinked. Yep. Exactly. So I'd say I had one more shift and this is really after my schooling was complete. So I felt, I felt like I knew what I needed to know about food, you know, the basics. Of course, there's always more, there's always more to learn, but just like anyone else, I've struggled with stuff too. And Brandon, we've talked about this with my skin. I've had countless visits to the dermatologist my entire life, always being handed another cream, another medication. When I asked the doctor how long I'd have to use the cream for to heal my skin and he answered, well, forever. And that's when I knew that I needed to start seeking other answers. So I've worked on myself just like we all do, right? As health professionals, just like I work on my clients and, and start, I started with food and proper supplementation, healing the gut first. And then I began to worry about things I put on my skin. So our skin is our largest organ and the average woman puts 168 chemicals on her body a day. These chemicals have been researched time and time again, and we know they're related to numerous diseases and cancers. So my favorite place to start with clients and to refer them to, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Environmental Working Group. Mm-mm. No? Okay, so it's www.ewg.org. And oh, there's, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's so, also an app. So they have like lists of recommended makeups and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, so anything that you use, this is what I always tell my clients to do, and I challenge all the listeners to do this too, is go home and start scanning or looking up products in your home cleaning products, makeup, hygiene products, any single product that you buy in your home. They'll rank them on a scale of one to 10. So one being least harmful, 10 being most. And then the numbers are broken down by the ingredient. So it'll actually list all the ingredients and rank them in terms of how harmful they are. But it'll also relate them to how they can harm the body. So some might be related to cancer. Some are related to respiratory distress, some reproductive issues and things like that. Can you tell the listeners some of the main ingredients to look out into different makeup products and things like that? Ooh, I would say sulfates and phthalates are probably the biggest ones. And do you have any recommended brands that you go to? It can be a very overwhelming process. So I always tell people when you run out of one thing in your home, then look on EWG, then start to do your research into that one product because you don't want to just drop everything today and research it all and buy it all because there's so many different options, so many different stores. A lot of times it can be expensive and really overwhelming. Now, in my experience, that in itself became a full-time job and a little bit exhausting. So that kind of led me to Young Living and that company. So Young Living it was started by D. D. Gary Young in 1993. It was a really small family business. It's now the world leader in essential oils, which is pretty cool. They've been harvesting and distilling longer than any other company. So they're the oldest essential oil company. So over 20 years, um, they don't have any additives. They can be taken internally, all of those things. They're a seed to seal supplier. And this is what I recommend the most is that you do your research on a company. So what seed to seal means is the company has their hands in the process from the second the seed is planted to the moment it's bottled and shipped. So the importance of that is if you're going through third parties and vendors and you don't know what their practices are, 
A lot of companies, when you look into how they distill the oil, they actually use things like hexane. And we know hexane is a known carcinogen. So it's in diesel fuel, right? Yeah, exactly. It's also in styrofoam cups. These are things that we want to look into because just buying a bottle at, say, Target, because essential oils are getting really popular now, they're not going to list on the back like distilled with hexane. Right. You know? So you definitely have to do your research into the company. And that's something about Young Living is is they have very, very, very high standards. So read those labels at Target and TJ Maxx because 99% of them, the essential oil is the last ingredient of 10. Yeah. And part of my vendetta against uh, vegetable oils has to do with that hexane treatment and yeah. things like that. Now, when I talk to my aunt about essential oils, she goes, it's a bunch of frou-frou crap. What is wrong with you? Tell us about some of the benefits, the main benefits of essential oil and some of the science behind it, especially like for the boomer generation and things like that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, with your skin being your largest organ, the way I see it is I can pretty much create everything I buy at the store on my own if I want to. So, for example, I'm going through all of these skin issues. Well, I make my own body wash to see is that a component that's playing a part into my skin issues. Sure, you can buy like a non-toxic body wash, you can look that up on EWG, but it can be very expensive. But instead, you can make one with, you know, local honey and coconut oil and essential oils to scent it. Like I used to love Bath and Body Works, eucalyptus spearmint body wash. Okay? I used to spend hours like sniffing everything right? in the store. And by the end, like I can't smell anything. Yeah, you're like high off candles. Oh, it's crazy. Right. That's why they have like <laughs> coffee beans out, right? To kind of reset your nose. That's right. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I always wondered about that. It's like cleansing that. your nose palate. Yeah. So not so much about like, you know, what kind of products can you make, but, but what are the health benefits and is there any medicinal application? Mm-hmm. Is there any, you know, what, why would somebody want to invest in a, in a high quality, expensive essential oil? Yeah. Okay. So when I work with my clients, a huge part is about cleansing the gut and the liver. We know the gut and the liver are, are detoxifying organs of the body. So a lot of people say, why should I care about what I put on my skin? That's my liver's job. Like, yeah, sure. You're right. Okay. That's great. But years and years and thousands and thousands of chemicals and toxins that we encounter every single day. And you expect your liver to be able to function at 100% all of the time. Yeah, one of the arguments I get all the time, like, oh, it's such a minuscule amount in that product. But when you add 148 things and all the scents and smells and chemicals and products you use, over time this accumulates. And at least we can control what we directly apply to our skin. And when we talk about, again, the kids with asthma and allergies and even adults, the research is showing us that the more, you know, clean quote unquote, with Clorox and those types of cleaners, our homes were the less bacteria, the good bacteria that they had in their gut and the more of these diseases that they had later. And we're seeing using these cleaning products, which we think are clean, is increasing our risk of allergies and asthma. Yeah, so there's actually a really cool study done when antibacterial soap just came out and they were finding the more fluent families that had access to antibacterial soap. All their kids were sick all the time. And then the lower class living in filth, their kids were fine. Yeah. Uh, and I think that may have a little bit to do with it. So trying to live in a bubble and disinfect and kill 99.9% of germs like Lysol, oh, yeah. maybe not a great idea. That reminds me of the scene from The Office where Dwight was saying he refuses to coddle his immune system. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I do think that's important. And so so I don't like all those sprays and things. And there's lots of chemicals and people don't think mm-hmm. about that. I mean, we have our car fresheners. Yep. Um, Young Living has a thieves cleaner. So it's made out of the story of the thieves is the back in the plague when the thieves, they would rob graves and they would clothe themselves with like clove and cinnamon and different spices and they did not get the plague so 
That's the story. And they wow. made an oil out of it called Thieves. And now there's a household cleaner called Thieves. So it makes your house smell like fall, but you're able to give it to your kids. Your tiny little child can spray your counter, sit on your counter, lick your counter, and you don't have to worry about it. Great, because I lick my counter all the time. <laughs> now, you gave me, um, as a gift, you gave me the, the foaming hand soap of Christmas spirit. Uh-huh. I've been singing Jingle Bells, and <laughs> my nose is glowing red like Rudolph. I love uh, it. That's fantastic. I think it's pretty shocking. You mentioned that the average woman puts 168 chemicals on her body every day. I know. That's nuts. Poor women. You know, I, I understand what you're saying, because you hear people say, like, we're just very cynical as American shoppers that everything can be snake oil sales, mm-hmm. but... I mean, if you really understood the 168 chemicals that you're putting on your body every day, maybe you could make that kind of snap judgment. But most of us have no idea yeah. that there's 100. I had no idea. Yeah. And if you read them, it looks like a freaking science project. If you turn over like oh, yeah. makeup and perfume and you start reading, I don't know what half that crap is. And I'm a pretty educated guy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's different things too, Brandon, like when you were asking what are some of the benefits, like you said, your aunt says it's, what did she call it? She doesn't believe in essential oils nonetheless. So- Things like wintergreen, wintergreen, like we always think of wintergreen gum, but the real wintergreen essential oil when extracted and you actually look at the structure of the compound of wintergreen, it is shaped very similar to steroids. So when someone applies a steroid cream to reduce inflammation and relieve pain, wintergreen provides that same effect without being a medication. So I've had a lot of clients who use wintergreen. I actually had, when I worked for the SNAPED nutrition program, this old guy and he quote, I don't believe in that shit. That's what he told me about essential oils. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. That's about right. But (laughs) I'm like, all right. So I was like, just try it. He has really bad arthritis in his thumb and he'd used numerous medications that just weren't cutting it. About a month later, he called me back asking if he could order another oil because he says it's the only thing that works for his arthritis. So that's pretty cool when we have, you know, alternative forms of medicine even that work. Like when kids are teething and their gums are killing them, there's an oil called Copaiba that moms can apply to the gums that really help with that too. So there's, it's very versatile. Yeah. Now, um, this isn't exactly a super scientific source, but uh, from learningandyearning.com, I pulled up this common makeup ingredient. So I'd have to fact check it, but it says some of the common ingredients include BHA, which is carcinogenic and it's an endocrine disruptor. So it's going to mess with your hormones. It's got formaldehyde, which we know is embalming fluid for dead people, carcinogenic, also a neurotoxin. Fun factoid, fructose and fruit is also a neurotoxin, but that's for another episode. Uh, fragrance, uh, may contain hormone disruptors, uh, lead, <laughs> of course we know that that's not healthy. Uh, parabens is uh, even in shampoos and things and many, many biopsies from, from breast tumors and endocrine disruptors. They found those parabens in there. So, and that's spelled P H T H A L A T E S. I know it has a T H sound, but it starts with a P. Uh, that's in a lot of cleaning products and, and makeups. That's an endocrine disruptor. And retinal palmitate, which also causes skin cancer, birth defects, and then triclosan, an endocrine disruptor. So how much poison is okay to put into your body? Well, it's just a little bit. I don't, I think it all adds up. Definitely all adds up. Now, now that you've kind of discussed what you do, how you got here, some of your mind shifts and things, what is your why for continuing and helping others? I would say... I think it's freedom in all areas of life. You have to focus on yourself. When we talk about moms who always put themselves last, they're going to burn out quick. And how can you expect to serve others and to do your best and to go out and fulfill your purpose and to make a difference in the world when you can't even take care of yourself? So it's putting yourself first in 
in terms of your mind and your spirit and your body. And, and then that allows you to feel freedom in all areas of your life. So you feel better, you think better, you have better relationships, better outlook on life, you live more in the present, you feel like you can make a difference in other people's lives and, and, you know, live out your calling. Now, have you ever, what are the things that you're doing now that you wish you'd started sooner? You know, focusing on, on bettering my mind and spirit. I think with my type A personality, those are things I always put on the back burner. Kind of like you talked about, your clients never want to talk about stress, right? You know, we know it's food and, and physical activity. We, we know that. But getting your mind and, and your spirit in the right place changes everything. Your outlook, your results, your happiness. Now, tell us a little bit about what your typical daily routine looks like. What types of food, spacing, exercise, products, that, that kind of stuff. Sure. So... First thing I do every single morning, and I've done this for a long time, is drink room temperature water with a lemon. Just, why, why is that? Just to kind of wake up my digestive tract. We know lemon is really good for detoxifying the liver. And I think, you know, you've been asleep all night and there is nothing that's been going through your gut. Hopefully it's been relaxing. And then I always like to do a little bit of stretching. So I'll do like a quick little yoga routine, just get my mind, body, right. And I always do a little bit of meditating, even if it's just for five minutes, just to set your headspace in the right spot. And that's something that I continue to do throughout the day, because like I mentioned, I'm very anxious when I did metabolic testing at Lifetime. You know, my calories are through the roof because my anxiety and cortisol. So that's something I have to keep under control. And my Apple Watch alerts me probably 25 times a day telling me to breathe, um, which is something funny that's shouldn't be something we have to be reminded of, but I'm a shallow breather for sure. So I have to take several moments throughout the day. I try to pick my most stressful times, like during the middle of the work day, when I wake up, when I lay down for bed, in traffic major, when I try to focus on deep breathing a lot. So is that your primary form of meditation is just taking deep breaths? I like to, my goal is to have no single thought pass through my head which we know is super difficult. So I try to visualize the breath, kind of visualize it coming in through the nostrils really cold and picture going down to the lungs and then coming back out warm. So I kind of, it's like magic school bus. You kind of just try to imagine yourself on the ride of the breath, Ms. right? Frizzle, yeah. <laughs> Great show. <laughs> Good stuff. In terms of exercise, my favorite things, weight training and yoga for sure. Like I said, I've tried to be a runner several times. It's not my cup of tea. Sometimes I like it. Depends on the day. I'm definitely a seasonal runner. I like it a lot more when it's cold outside, but yoga is definitely my go-to. Awesome. Yeah. Now tell us a little bit about your strength training routine, because I, I know there's a lot of women who, you know, I don't want to bulk up. That's what I always hear. You're not going to bulk up. So what do you do for strength training um, and, and what does a sustainable routine look like for you? So I try to cover maybe a different body part each day and just do something small. So maybe um, back one day and biceps one day and legs one day, things like that and break it up doesn't have to be anything super overwhelming and you're definitely not going to bulk up. You just get toned and you feel better. And it's super important for women, especially with bone health and, and menopause and, and things like that. Yeah. Especially if, if you have a high risk of osteoporosis, mm -hmm. you can strengthen bone density through strength training. Absolutely. Right. And then the next part of your day. Next part of my day. Okay. Let's talk about food. So a normal day for me would be breakfast, lunch, snack, and then dinner. I would say that's pretty usual. Um, I love scrambled eggs with onions and peppers and, and spinach and things like that. Then for lunch, lunch is always leftovers from dinner. So it varies. Today I had tempeh, barbecue tempeh. If the listeners aren't familiar with tempeh, that's a soy product that's fermented and less processed than tofu. It's kind of, I always tell my clients it's like a, 
the crunchy form of peanut butter and tofu is like the creamy form. I guess that kind of dumbs it down a little bit. Yeah. And te- <laughs> you know, so fermented soy like tempeh and miso, I think are, are, are pretty good choices. Anytime you ferment something, you're changing the, the structure and, and it's a little bit healthier for you. And then I over make dinners so that I have them left over for lunches. Snacks vary. I love like snow peas or sugar snap peas with hummus, different raw veggies with hummus. I love salsa. I love making energy bites, different things like that. What's an energy bite? Energy bite. My favorite is with almond butter and chocolate and coconut flakes and oats and all those different things. Uh, Flaxseed, ground flaxseed and rolling them together. Really filling, really full of fiber. What else? I love nuts. Nuts are probably my favorite snack. Um, Doing dark chocolate and nuts and coconut. One of my favorite things to do is to air pop popcorn and, um, of course, organic and (laughs) non-GMO when we talk about corn. But doing that with dark chocolate and coconut, unsweetened coconut flakes and just a bunch of different nuts. It's like my favorite snack. Favorite cheat food. Go. (laughs) Favorite cheat food? Honestly, (sighs) potato chips. Does wine count as a food? Sure. <laughs> that would be uh, now, my favorite. <laughs> now, most potato chips are cooked in canola oil, so that would absolutely be a cheap food. But there's brands like Kettle Brand. There's a couple else, others out there that use avocado oil. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I encourage people, if they are going to do potato chips, try and find one that's not using canola oil. Yeah. And there are options out there. Yeah. Um, and that makes it less of a cheat. <laughs> Now, the last question I always ask our guests is, and this is talking directly to the listeners, uh, what are the top three things you would tell them in order to change their life in a positive direction? So number one for me is the mind and spirit. I think it takes knowing who you are as a person, what makes you happy, what you enjoy, what feeds your spirit, what your purpose is on earth and what fulfills you. These are the things that are going to keep you going every single day. So that's where it starts. This is what will strengthen your relationships and give you the drive to do better and be better. We know these things get us to the right path of nutrition in the first place, and that'll help us continue on that right path. And we we don't want it to be a yo-yo thing, right? So we want to get our mind and spirit right. I would say the second thing is nutrition because we are what we eat and we are what we eat eats. As I heard recently, I like it put that way. If you don't nourish your body properly, how can you even expect to exercise? How do you expect to get the results out of your exercise? It's always about working smarter, not harder. So we, again, we don't want to give up and go on a path of yo-yo dieting. I try not to use the word diet in my vocabulary. I honestly hate that. My title is diet. Um, and number three is exercise. I'm just a tishin. I'm just a tishin. It's fine. <laughs> so number three is exercise because it's time for yourself. It's time for your body and your mind. And the reason I say these three, because I know you asked in your question, you know, is one of the three relationships is one of the three career. And honestly, no, not in my top three, because you can't expect to provide for others and to serve others well if you haven't put yourself first. So giving all the listeners permission to be selfish today. It's kind of like one of my clients' favorite analogies is in a plane, if the air masks drop because they're losing pressure or whatever, they always tell you to put yours on first That's and right. then help others. Because otherwise, if you're dead, you can't help your kids or anybody around you. That's right. Um, so, so I think it is important to have some self-care there. Absolutely. I think a lot of women are where they are today. I know so many of our clients are post-menopause on this roller coaster of a disaster because they're just now starting to think about themselves. Yeah, and it's pretty, it gets harder and harder to reverse it. Now, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and do a consult or something like that, can you remind us again where we can find you at? Yeah, so my email is water and G-Well, T-H-E-W-E-L-L, 
at gmail.com. So you can email me to schedule a consultation, phone call, meetup, whatever. I'm also on Instagram at water in the well. And my website is waterinthewell.com. Awesome. So there you have it. Fire with a nation straight out of the mouth of a dietitian. What are days like? Uh, things she recommends, uh, what she finds important. We really appreciate you coming on the show, giving us some insight into that and, and your life. And, and we're excited about your business. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, uh, go check us out at firewithinnf.com. You can subscribe to our newsletters and make sure you never miss an episode or any other content. Also, be sure to follow us on social media.